Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crawcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. And today I'm joined by Daffy of Daffy's Reptiles and the Daffy's Roundtable Podcast. Daffy, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. So uh, we'll get started on how your uh, reptile career began, what you got into it, and uh, sort of your career path up to now. For sure. Um, so like most people, I'm sure that you've had on podcasts and most people in this industry, um, I've been obsessed with reptiles and animals my entire life. Um, I actually started fish keeping first uh, around like four or five. My parents got me my first aquarium. So I've actually had aquariums uh, my entire life. And didn't actually transition to reptile keeping until I moved here to Canada in 2015 uh, when I got my first crested gecko. But before then, I did have you know the the usuals. I had the red-eared sliders. I had a couple of salamanders. Um, I had I lived close to uh, the ocean, so I was very lucky. Well, not not something that we should be doing, but as a child, you know, I was going out there. I was collecting crabs, jellyfish, a little sea urchin. So I had a little uh, saltwater aquarium too. Um, so yeah, always always been obsessed moved here i was living in dorms actually and um you know getting a little bit of that missing missing caring for something missing having the animal around the house um so i wanted a snake couldn't find any snake in my local pet store and i got a crested gecko instead you know same thing same thing <laughs> um yeah. and and that it's it, yeah it, it snowballed from there uh that was about six or seven years ago now and um so i went from one crested gecko to many 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 crested geckos before i decided Maybe I need to diversify, try keeping different things. Um, and so past four years, I've kind of been doing more, uh, looking for different species that aren't commonly found. Uh, so now I kind of have, I have mountain horn dragons, I've got stenodactylus, emerald tree skinks, um, stuff that, uh, you know, harder things to find that hopefully with my help and with other breeders helps, we can make them easier to find or easier, more accessible to other people. Um, yeah, so I, 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 that, that's that's the that's the reptile keeping story that's how i got into reptiles yeah, yeah so uh you want to go over a brief list of uh all you have sure i i might need to look around and kind of <laughs> gauge what's in the room but uh definitely so um i'll start with like maybe amphibians i've got six species of dart frogs so i have um dendrobates tinctorius oyopak i've got phylobates vitatis I have Rantamea vanzellini or vanzellinii. I'm not sure the correct pronunciation. Um, I've got three epitobates, so the uh, Santa Isabels, the Ancas, and the Rios. And I have um, Dendrobates auratus, the Yellow Columbia. I think that I actually may have been more than six or seven dark frogs, but you know, it grows. Um, and then, so uh, newts and salamanders, I have Hynobius dunai, which is the Oita salamanders. I have um, Alpine newts, I have Spanish rib newts. I have Chinese fire belly newts and I have some axolotls. Uh, so really recently in the past year or so, I've taken quite a dive into the amphibians. Uh, I'm enjoying them quite a bit. And then on the reptile side, I have um, currently my babies that I'm obsessed with, uh, my mountain horn dragons. Um, so they're like almost always out in the room hanging out with me. Um, and then I have emerald tree skinks. I have stenodactylus, stenodactylus. I have binos geckos, or they're, they're also known as prickly geckos. Um, they're actually a parthenogenic uh, desert species, so they're the they're they're pretty cool. They're like uh, I like to say like the morning geckos of the arid world. Um, what else do I have? I have uh, Cameroon dwarf geckos, yellow-headed geckos, um, and crested gecko. I still have a couple of crested geckos, and I think I mentioned the emerald tree skinks already. That's that's yeah. that's most of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, want to talk a little bit about uh your podcast and what first got you into uh, reptile podcasting for sure yeah um so it was about i think about a year now that i started it um there was there's oh, a couple of reasons me. Uh, yeah yeah i think i think we were around similar similar months when we, we started going um so there's, there's a couple of reasons for it um one i was kind of searching for content that i wasn't finding um that being said, all the reptile podcasts and everything that was already out there were are all incredible and they all were a huge inspiration to me. But I would search things like mountain horn dragons, not find them. Or, uh, you know, at one point I was searching fish, epistogrammas, not finding them. And I was like, you know, clearly there's maybe some certain species that can be, we can, I can fill the niche in was one. And then second of all, um, I like the concept of podcasts will never die really, right? You have it out there. It's educating. You can educate people, but you can do it from anywhere. I don't need to have my collection to do it. Um, so it's it's kind of like a, hopefully something that will stay with us for a very long time. 
regardless of where I am in my life, basically, kind of kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's that's that. Those were the two two big things. I, I think there's always room for more people to get in, more people to educate. Um, the more of us doing it, the the better and the stronger the hobby becomes, right? Yeah. So, uh, just as a kind of a highlight for people who are tuning in and having listened to your podcast, I want to go over yeah. some of the highlights and details of it. For sure, like uh, kind of what what kind of we've already discussed on there, and 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 what yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so it, it, I do cover both uh, reptiles, amphibians, or I should say both more more than both. I carry I cover reptiles, amphibians, and fish. Um, so kind of just different parts of the hobby. And I've tried to bring on guests that both specialize in specific species. So like I said earlier, um, I haven't actually been able to do a Mountain Dragon episode yet because I haven't found anyone. Um, but I've had people come on like spe specifically for cat eye geckos. Cat eye geckos, that didn't make any sense. Um, what what are the cat geckos? Just the, I need to remember the name of them. Uh, cat eye geckos actually kind of sounds right. Does it sound right? Maybe yeah okay so the Malaysian cat gecko the Allers capolis felinus I also suck at Latin names by the way, um, but uh, stuff like that and then we also have like episodes where we did like the blackout episodes so kind of telling people how how to handle a reptile room where um, when you know natural disasters or power outages stuff like that or um, handling yeah. larger reptile rooms and then um, also want to bring forward hopefully in the future some more of the secrets of breathing so there's a lot of species like mentioned earlier that there are information out there but there's not many people um who have written up blurbs or there's no forums online showing um you know little the tips and tricks the secrets of breeding that that are not commonly found so hopefully soon enough we can start spreading the word about these kind of things um but in general it's just it is more entertainment for people in the reptile industry right more things to hear more things to consume um stuff like that yeah so uh going forward do you have any particular big plans for your podcast i i well i the name the name of the podcast is daffy's round table and i have not been doing many round tables <laughs> so that that would be one thing i would like to move forward doing as well is um you know go back to the round tables have multiple guests on at a time kind of have it more be more of a debate showing different sides of the different sides of the of the uh, of the industry how different things are done um but i also do have quite a few interesting episodes recorded already um so i have i have one i don't know uh, when this will come out but i have one with mt toxins on all on snake venom coming out very soon and then there's one with houston frog so kind of diving into dark frog worlds and uh, the the mushrooms and the the how to bring the natural world into the vivarium kind of thing um yeah quite a, quite a few things in the work if you're not already following me go check it out <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, with your reptile collection, are there any? Is there anything you want to add, or you're planning on adding to it? Um. Well. Uh. Always. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I actually just went to the uh, the reptile expo in in uh, this Canadian reptile breeder expo last weekend, and I did add four more binos geckos. Um. So that that start there. Um. I already had two, and I the more you have the more you see the communal activities. So when I just had the two, they were mostly hiding. Now that I have all six, um, some of them are basking in one corner. Some of them are actually sleeping, like cuddled up next to each other. So it's nice to see the communal behaviors. Um, but as for things I do want to add, um, I'm currently looking for female mountain horn dragons. I have three males and one female. So if anyone in Canada knows of female mountain horn dragons, send them my way. Um, I would like to get other subspecies. So I currently have Acanthora capra. I would like to get my hands on Armata or um, Lepidogaster. Uh, they're just other subspecies of mountain horn dragons that look very, very cool. Um, and I really, really like the Atlopus barbatini. Um, so the harlequin toads that are bred by Nick Stacy in um, somewhere in the States. They're just started hitting Canada quite pricey um so maybe not not just yet but uh very soon i would like to get my hands on a group of them all right yeah. so you mentioned uh mountain horn dragons might be your favorite uh you want to talk about currently what it's like keeping them what they like as an animal yeah yeah for sure um so i was saying that uh like they're they're 
truly the best of both worlds when it comes to there is a bit of a challenge so you are constantly in there kind of doing maintenance and doing things but at the same time they're such a docile and easy species that i can kind of sit on the couch and put them on my shoulder um so they do like need running water that's that's kind of where people um will struggle they they dehydrate very easily um so they do need a source of running water or they don't recognize that stagnant water is actually water um and then the other thing they need is they do need the hot spot but they don't need it too high so i keep it around like 82 83 degrees fahrenheit and then that with that you also need a high humidity but good airflow so it's kind of like when 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 uh, people are talking about chameleons the problem with them is having the high airflow but uh, um, high ventilation it's sort of the same thing um, so to battle that i have like i said a water feature so it's constantly humid in there but at the same time i have fans running on the tank um, every couple of hours pulling and like recirculating the air in there um, other than that they're they're quite an easy species they'll eat almost anything i give them uh, like insectivores obviously so crickets worms um, they tongue feed um, they they will use the water feature so they jump right in uh, you'll see them kind of battling for space in there or they do a little wiggle thing where they'll put their head underwater and kind of like it almost looks like they're trying to get rid of stuck shed um, by like rubbing it against something, but they're doing it underwater on gravel. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a very, very cool species. They come from like Indonesia, Vietnam. Um, they have horns on them, which I mean, obviously by the name. Um, yeah. But that's that's kind of one of the one of the things I like the most about them is that prehistoric dinosaur look. Um, when you see them with just plants behind them, it's kind of looks like you see a dinosaur coming out of the forest. Uh, that. I, I highly, highly recommend them to, to anybody who's who's interested in giving them a try. The the other thing about them was they would always come in wild caught at very, very cheap prices, and then also have parasites and 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 just things that wild animals will come in, uh, wild caught animals will come in with. So that's another challenge that most people have turned that have, that has turned most people away from mountain orange dragons because they're getting them, they're dying within a month or two, or you're getting them you're gonna have to deworm them spend a lot of money on deworming them um so it's turned a lot of people off of mountain horn dragons but hopefully in the near future we can start having like some nice captive bred babies to that are healthier uh, mine that i got were actually a wild caught female was brought in and um she laid eggs almost immediately and passed away so um whoever was um incubated those eggs and luckily the babies hatched so my babies aren't wild caught, but they're not captive bred either. They're uh, they call captive born. Hopefully, yeah, the next hatch. generation yeah. captive hatched, captive born. So hopefully, the next generation will be captive born and bred and um, much healthier individuals. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just sound listen off the requirements. They do sound like a typical montane uh, lizard species. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They do come from the cloud forests. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, you also mentioned uh, emerald tree skinks. You want to talk about those? Yeah, for sure. So um, that's another one that was a bit of a struggle to bring in. Um, actually, about a year ago, I think I had them now. They're, they're uh, right behind me. And one thing I will say is they are some of the most inquisitive uh, reptiles that I've ever worked with. They The male doesn't love me yet, but the female will actually come down and sit by the glass and watch me as I move around the reptile room and kind of like wanting to be out. However, um, they're not, or, or the way I say it is they handle you, you don't handle them. Um, they're handleable on their own terms. The female will come out, she'll sit on my shoulder, she'll run around like shoulder to shoulder, she'll jump between my hands, but I can never really just sit there with her and have her, you know, chill out. Um, which I mean, I, I keep talking about handling, keeping reptiles is not all about handling, of course, you know, enjoying them in their environment yeah. is just as important. Uh, but it is nice that she somewhat seems interested in wanting to to hang out with me right um but yeah they were they were a bit of a tough species to get similar to the mountain horn dragons a lot of them were coming in wild caught and i actually remember um before i got my pair i drove down to montreal with some friends and um we were talking to a guy at the pet store and he was like you there's no way you're going to be able to get them um captive bred currently they're only coming in wild caught and and so it was it was a big thing and then now we've gone we've gone a very long way we actually saw a bunch of them at the uh reptile expo the other day i, I have a bunch of friends breeding them um hopefully i have a pair hopefully soon we'll get some babies so they're now 
more available as captive bred animals and as captive bred animals they are um, a lot calmer and a lot more docile to hold um, but in terms of their care and requirements they're they're generally pretty easy they do like it hot they do like it humid so i have a basking spot and the uvb in one corner which is kind of where they're hanging out um it's it's interesting they uh have a thick substrate layer so they sleep uh they burrow they sleep underground and then after the lights come on it's usually about an hour later it's it's almost like a routine they'll come out from from being burrowed they'll climb up to the basking spot they'll sit there for about an hour an hour and a half and that's when kind of they'll get their day started they'll start moving around uh jumping all over the jungle gym searching for food but before then they're they're just sitting in in um in uh, under their basking spots also where they have their little uvb strip um and yeah they like it really humid uh most people are actually most people are breeding them are actually just leaving the eggs in the enclosure and just kind of having babies pop up and pulling them wherever they are and um as i i don't want to say as skinks because not all skinks but they are one of the communal skinks so you can have a group of them together um i've heard people say males fight i i don't have two males so i, I can't I, I don't know if that's true or not but i assume if you have a big enough uh vivarium that you could have uh, multiple males and multiple females like you could have a nice group of them going um other than that they're bright bright green which as a reptile lover you know that color is always attractive yeah. to, uh, attractive to me um and and yeah it's it's really it, really though it's it's their 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 inquisitiveness I, I don't know if that's that's the right way to say it but um they're always watching it's it's i've kept parrots before and it's almost like you have a bird in a reptile's body they're they're kind of always like scanning the room what are you doing um i have dart frogs on the row right under them so i'll be tapping the flies into the dart frog and i see her like perched over and looking down like smashed against the glass trying to see what i'm doing down there um they're they're a very very cool species yeah so you know back to that whole communal thing with uh, multiple males yeah. i have heard that might if you have a big enough enclosure obviously it might actually be beneficial for breeding just because you know reptiles in general if there's another male there kind of stirs the competitiveness in them yeah competition for sure yeah i know that definitely makes sense but i assume you'd probably need like double like kind of with oh. with guppies or with fish where you have one male you have like three females you probably need like a much bigger ratio yeah. of females to males mm -hmm. yeah like a one a 2.6 or something like that yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 so you're from Canada and I'm from the United States and something I like to do whenever I'm talking with people from other countries is talk about the differences between uh, the herpeticulture in that country and uh, the US. So do you want to talk about some differences between Canadian, the herpeticulture community and the US? I can sum it down to three words. We're smaller, we're more expensive. <laughs> and uh, no, uh, for real though, it's, it's um, we, most of us, like most of the people in like in the reptile hobby up in Canada were super jealous of you guys and people in Europe. Um, we have a lot of animals that we just can't get our hands on. Um, we have a lot of animals that we try to import and they, you know, CITES or, or um, import bans or stuff like that. We get it shut down. Things seem to be getting a little bit better now. There are more people that have the ability to import things. So we are starting to see some rarer species. But even then, um, the price points for them, when you compare them to... You know, we watch the Tim Lee videos, we watch the Daytona videos, we watch all the all the all the stuff in that's happening in the States, and you see the animals at almost half the price. Um, which I mean is not necessarily always a bad thing, right? Like the the prices change how people look at animals, of course. But um it they the all that to say is it it seems like it's a lot harder for us to get our hands on certain species than it is for you guys. Um and then there's always the the community aspect of it, right? So uh, we're, we're lucky we have uh, awesome awesome reptile people up here and and when we are at the expos it is a great community and, and it is nice seeing everybody come together but watching the community in the states and seeing how many reptile shows you have and how many different kinds so we have reptile expos that's that's about where where, where we draw the line you know reptile expos you guys I, you guys have retech fest um you have uh rattlesnake I, I don't know like stuff like that um just different there's niche niche events there's um reptile expos in every state and they they seem to be more common than what we have them at as well um so so really i think i think those are probably our biggest differences um there's there's always of course the the i think differences in care um 
come come in different like are available depending on where you are in the world right we'll do different things differently but i think in terms of canada and, and the united states i think we're a lot closer to our care um like the way we care for things than than we are in in europe um i had this discussion with one of um one of the people on podcast i, I can't remember who said it but uh they said in the United States and Canada, we kind of we're, we're rushing to get that biggest collection. We're rushing to get um, things that that you know that it's more of like we love the animals, so we want to see more of them, and and we want to see it in different ways. Whereas they love the concept of the perfect care or the perfect in, uh, enclosure. So they'll get one enclosure, um, they'll they'll put all their time and work into it rather than having like so many animals like you see behind me um so so that's i think that's obviously europe that's not comparing the united states to canada so i went a bit a bit off topic there but um yeah. i think i think in general between the care career like how we do things up here and how you guys do things down there it's pretty similar gotcha yeah so you want to talk about that uh expo you just went to the this past weekend Sh sure it was um um it was called the Canadian Reptile Breeders Expo. So this happens once a year. Um, so we have reptile expos every 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 not only every month, every couple of months we have one. Um, they're all generally in. So maybe I'll give a little bit of layout. We're I, I live in Ottawa, which is in Ontario, um, and all most of the expos will happen in Toronto. That's like a four to five hour drive from where I am. Um, the rest of them will happen in either Calgary or Vancouver, which is a five to six hour flight from where I am, all the way on the other side of the of, of, um, of Canada. So the only ones that I'm ever, ever able really to get to are the reptile expos that happen in Toronto. And so those will happen every couple of months. And then once a year, we have the big one, the Canadian Reptiles Breeders Expo. Um, and that actually hasn't happened since 2019. So this was the first one back. It was, uh, just to start off, it was incredible. It was, uh, starting with what we were saying earlier community it was the first time in four or five years that many of us were in a room together and of course it's always nice meeting people that you know we're constantly talking to people on instagram we're constantly talking to people online like people who keep the same species as you people you have interest in their species but you never really know what that per you don't put the name to the face until you go to one of these events so starting off with that 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 was that was awesome the other really cool thing, um, I said, I'm also a fish keeper. Uh, we had our first in the same hall at the same time. There was the first Canadian Aquatic Expo, and we had there was a huge aquascaping competition. There was different talks. Uh, they had uh, George Farmer come up to judge it. Uh, so that was very interesting. Actually, funny story. I um, just for the sake of being very excited about the expo and wanting to do everything that was there. I uh, a couple of days before the expo, I was trying to register for the aquascaping competition. And then you go down the process and you're going through all the questions and then it says send pictures of like your past scapes and, and i just went close tab <laughs> none of my aquariums at home would compare to anything that we saw there honestly um but on the reptile side uh there was more booths that's, that's like for starters there was almost double or triple the amount of booths that we see at the reptile uh, regular reptile exposed and then species um you know, regular reptile expos, we see the crested geckos, we see the ball pythons, we see the leopard geckos. And then there are some tables that'll have one or two rare things. Um, we used to have this one a vendor that I haven't seen in a while now, but he used to have just a table of wild caught animals. And, you know, that was the table to get the, all the rare stuff on. Um, I don't see him around anymore, but now it seems, you know, we saw um, there was a blue, like a crystal blue rhino rat snake on Northern Lights Imports table um there was the tonga uh, the tonga banded iguanas uh that i haven't seen yet in person so that was really cool to see on a table um there there's there was the um diplodactylus which you know as somebody's keeping micro geckos it's always exciting to see more micro geckos come in um so yeah it was it's exciting to see different species that that are like i said earlier we, we used to struggle to see these things and now it's interesting to see them finally coming in and then you have tables like understory enterprises um which have all the dart frogs and and all of like as, as a dart frog keeper as a dart frog lover it's 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 incredible to see that much diversity on one table um and yeah i, I don't know maybe just I'll, I'll give another shout out to like monarch reptiles for example that had 
uh, bumblebee toads, which we haven't seen yet here. Um, they had, uh, you know, milk snakes, king snakes, all that kind of stuff. But the 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 seeing bumblebee toads for the first time captive bred on a table is is just mind blowing, especially here in Canada. Um, so it was great. It was two days. Um, the entire I, I was filming the entire time, so it was really hard to like actually see all the tables on the first day. Second day, I got a chance to maybe kind of more more uh, look around. Uh, there was also um, I don't know how many plant people we have on here, but there was also really 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 cool plants. Um, so like high humidity uh, trailers and bromeliads and mosses and liverworts and all things um, that again you're not going to see walking into like a regular greenhouse or or something like that. You know um yeah it was a lot of fun if 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 you ever reptile expo near you i i definitely recommend you go check it out yeah yeah so uh kind of a basic question but what's your favorite species of reptile that you haven't kept that i haven't kept um it's a good one it's a tough one um i i always used to say i really liked iguanas growing up um, I don't think I don't want an iguana right now, but the um, the cyclura or the, uh, the the Cayman Islands yeah. iguanas are are absolutely gorgeous. Um, I really like the rock iguanas too. So I'm gonna put in the vote for for uh, maybe some form of iguana. Uh, but the Borneo um, Borneo earless monitor uh, Borneo eared monitor. Um, I'm I'm definitely butchering the name on that. Hold on, uh, Borneo earless monitor. Earless monitor, thank you. That's the one. Um, I was just I was looking them up the other day, and like maybe maybe it's because I enjoyed Game of Thrones, or, or maybe I'm just a dragon guy. But those things look like real dragons, and hopefully one yeah. day I, I I I would like to keep them. I also really like the uh, as you can see, like by the mountain or dragons and stuff. Like that. I like the the paludarium kind of setup. I like seeing them go into the water. I like seeing them come out, and um, the the Borneo earless monitors will also do the same thing. So um that i'll put i'll put in my vote for that species <laughs> yeah what about you actually what, what what do you what's the species what's one species you haven't kept that um you'd like to well i'm a crocodilian guy so i have to wait till i get my crocodilian license right uh here in ohio i mean we we have two species we're allowed to keep without license uh Pilusuchus trigonatus and Pilusuchus papaprosus both the dwarf caimans so awesome. I have actually a trio. I actually have a trio of uh, trigonotis right now. So little babies. That's, but, that's very. But if very I had cool. to choose, I had to choose one. It's kind of taught. It's kind of basic, but it's the one I've probably worked with the most is uh, American alligator. Just because. Yeah. They're probably the most bulletproof of all the crocodilians. Yeah. yeah. Also, like the most bulletproof one, and also kind of the best temperament and personality in general awesome yeah i've never worked with any crocodilians but one day i would like to as well that's that's awesome yeah yeah so let's see here yeah actually uh that's probably like a month or two back now but i had uh david kirschner on who's a, a crocodilian scientist did a lot of crocodilian research he's actually from uh, manitoba so awesome okay i and yeah i, I I, I'm gonna go back and find that episode. I didn't know that anybody in Canada was even working with crocodilians, so that's awesome. Well, he immigrated to Australia, so okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't have we don't have many crocodiles up here. It's too cold for them. <laughs> yeah, same here, but yeah, 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 I guess. Uh, yeah. So you going off of what you said about uh, your reptile collection, you don't have uh, that many snakes. It sounds like at the moment. Uh, do you plan on ever getting more? I actually completely forgot to list. You are completely right. I, I don't I don't have any snakes. I have one carpet python, which I don't believe I mentioned earlier. Um, so Morelia spilota, the jungle carpet python. I um, I don't believe I'll be. I, I definitely would like you know one day when I have the space, I definitely like to get some more snakes, some different kinds of snakes. Um, I don't think I'll be doing it at the moment. Um, it's more of a space issue, I think, than anything else. Um, I, I love my carpet python. I enjoy him a lot, but um, it's not my focus at the moment, and I don't want to be taking up space on things that um, I'm not focused on. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's see. Here. Is there uh, anything else you want to talk about? 
let me think. <laughs> um, I will also add to that, just before we, we jump off, to, I will also add to that um, one of the things that I think turned me more onto lizards than snakes was the challenge. Um, not to say that snakes can't be challenging, but I think you need to be more in the room more frequently, you're feeding more frequently, um, you're cleaning more frequently, and you know I enjoy being down here. So I think that's where the, the drag to, to lizards more than snakes went to. Um, yeah. Um, uh, we could we could talk about. I'm trying to think. <laughs> oh, we did. Uh, you mentioned you have micro geckos. You want to talk about those guys? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I have multiple different species of micro geckos. I um, been having this discussion a lot with people, and um, it's it's interesting. It seems most people agree with the opinion that as we move forward as humans, more people will be moving into smaller spaces, uh, more people are moving into apartments rather than houses. So it seems that there's a need for desk pets. That and they're adorable at that size, <laughs> when they're that tiny. So I, I started getting more into the micro geckos. Um, so I currently have four or five. Um, they're kind of split into two groups. I'm, I'm kind of seeing which which side I like more. Uh, so I have the dwarf Cameroon geckos, um, Lycodactylus conroy, and the yellow-headed geckos, the Gonotodes albugularis, that are very more of the tropical, right? They come from um, warmer, higher higher humidity areas. Um, they're uh, they're arboreal. You know, you get to do the whole life plans with them. Uh, they're a lot of fun. I will say they're a lot harder to work with because going into the cages, they're faster than animals. They're on the glass already, so they can just easily right above your head, jump out. Um, but they're cool. They they lay eggs in, in clutches all over the leaves and plants. I put, um, uh, what are they called? When you go to the, like a flower shop and you get the roses, and usually the roses are in like little tubes at the end of them. And so I'll take those tubes and I'll glue, I'll hot glue uh, suction cups to them and I'll stick them all over the sides. And so the geckos will go in there and they'll lay their eggs and I can just pull those rather than end up cutting all the leaves and destroying the vivarium. Um, so they're the, that's mostly the dwarf Cameroon geckos. I've been very lucky with them. I've had quite a few clutches hatch now. Um, the yellowhead geckos are more, they're the same thing, you know, same care requirements. I'll do the same thing. They can't climb the glass like the dwarf Cameroon geckos. So it's a little bit easier to get into the tank, um, but they're also a lot more skittish, and I can I can never really see them um, unless I'm like tilting from the side of the exo or or, or yeah. something like that. Um, they they um, the the they're not communal. The dwarf yellowhead geckos. Uh, I'm trying. To, I'm I'm randomly throwing facts at you right now, but I'm trying <laughs> trying yeah. to give you like a rounded round response on them. Um, the yellowhead geckos are not communal, so you have to do them in pairs and kind of pull out the eggs and have the babies uh, set growing separately. But the uh, dwarf Cameroons are communal, so if I don't, I do pull the eggs. But if I don't pull the eggs, they could hatch in there and kind of just have it a whole colony thing um, growing. Um, so yeah, I, I really do enjoy the communal species. I like to see the behavior between different animals uh, of the same species. I haven't tried uh, cohabiting different species. I don't know if I ever will, but I, I like seeing the, the community of like one species together. I think it changes the behavior. Um, it's like going back to fish again. You have, uh, you have a schooling fish and you have one of it. You're not going to see any behavior, but when you have 10 of the schooling fish, you see that, that motion. Um, so yeah, so th those are the two... That's not true. I also have the morning. I thought I had one. Yeah. So there, I have morning geckos. Kind of the same thing. They are parthenogenic, which um, I, I find I find awesome. Um, I, I just have them in uh, 18, 18, 24, and I have like five. I, I, I never really know how many I have in there because I try to pull as many eggs as I can. But I, it's like I say five, and then the next day I'm counting seven, and then I pull two, and then, you know, like they're, they're always um, increasing and decreasing. So that's another um, one of the more common micros that you see. Uh, so I have a big group of them. And then on the desert or the more arid side, um, I got my hands on the Stenodactylus stenodactylus, which are another species that I, I have been quite fond of over the last year. Um, I'm hoping to get my hands on like Stenodactylus durae, uh, Stenodactylus petrii, which are just other subspecies of it as well. Um, they're about 
maximum 2.5 inches, maybe that that as full grown um, adults, and they are communal. Again, <laughs> uh, so I actually have a group of five females to two males. Um, and uh, oh, one really cool thing about these guys is they actually chirp like birds. So as soon as lights go off, the males start um, there. I, I, I can maybe try to get you a recording of it and send it, but it's, it's a little tough. Um, they 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 call almost like you, you. It's almost like I hear birds in my basement, and I and I have dark frogs, so I'm always hearing calls. But this call is unique. It's it's different. It's it's quite interesting. Um, so yeah, so they, they do that. They um, they lay eggs in clutch in in pairs of two. Uh, they burrow them deep in the sand, and they're very, very sensitive eggs. So I actually have to pull them using a spoon, um, and I scoop it up with the sand, and then move it with the sand to like kind of place it down uh, in the little incubator thing that I uh, I'm making, um, which um, not the incubator. I, I not the incubator thing. I made the deli cup that I put into the incubator. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, so they're cool. And then the other really cool thing about them is there's so many different patterns and colors. Um, now I'm not a morph guy. I, I don't keep like even when I used to breed crested geckos, I was just breeding crested geckos. I wasn't breeding any morphs or anything like that. Um, but I think it would be interested to interesting to slowly, eventually, some generations down, isolate some of the individuals and seeing if I could come up with a or line breed for a specific morph. Um, I have one female that's almost all white, and I haven't actually seen that in any of her babies or any of anybody else that's keeping them's collection. Uh, so hopefully maybe one day one of her babies will come out that way and we can do something about it. Um, but they're, they're very, very cool. So they burrow, they're, they're little piggies. Um, they, they, they are nocturnal, but they'll come out any time of the day. If I throw food in there, I have no problem with it. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that, that's the stenos. They, they're a lot of fun. And then similar to them, I keep them the exact same. Uh, so sand a bunch of hides and then i have a heat lamp on top and a heat pad on the bottom um i keep the binos geckos or the prickly geckos the exact same way now the opposite of them is these guys are like morning geckos as i said earlier they are parthenogenic so they um i just kind of wait for eggs to pop up um now i only had the two and now i now have six so i should be seeing like a lot more eggs pop up um but but yeah they're they're Pretty much the same care. Um, I haven't heard if they call or not, but I, they, I I don't know if this even makes any sense. The male stenos call, and there's not any male binos, right? I guess they're all technically female. So maybe that's why we don't hear any calling. Um, or maybe the species just doesn't call at all. But they they yeah. um, they are very, very cool. They're like little red, also 2.5 to like 3 inches max. They're red, but they're all spotted. Um, that's where they get the name prickly, or or the common name prickly. Uh, they they too look like they have a bunch of spikes on them from a distance. Once you pull up closer to them, closer to them, it's little bumps. Um, so yeah, those uh, that that's the micro geckos. They're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, and you also uh, keep a lot of dart frogs. You want to talk about what's like keeping those? Yeah, um, I love them. Dart frogs are awesome. Um, you know the seeing watch it's it's always it's all with any species right it's all about watching the behavior and seeing how how they act and um first of all i love the calls and they're calling all day i'm surprised they're actually not calling right now but the lights haven't gone on yet so maybe maybe that's why um they're calling all day uh, which i love so it makes my basement sound like a jungle um but more than that it's it's seeing the male sit in that pile of eggs and, and wiggle and have the tadpole climb onto his back and He'll carry the tadpole on his back for a day or two and then drop it in the water source. And then raising the tadpoles to to um to till they morph out and they become froglets. It's that whole process is is incredible. Um uh, I'll say like even with with um dart frogs, different species will have different different requirements, right? So like my dendrobates tinctorius will lay their eggs on um a little petri dish under a coconut husk, uh, uh coconut. I don't know what the word is, like a half coconut with a door in it, um, like a coconut hut or coconut like a coconut hut. Yeah. yeah, that. Um, so they'll, I, I can pull the eggs um, with the dendrobates tinctorius. I can pull them. I can put them in a little high humidity container. I can do that process myself. But with species like the ranitomae or the pitobates, um, they're doing it all. Um, they're pulling the, they're pulling the, 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 the tadpoles out of the eggs. They're moving them to the water source. A pitobates won't. Um, 
they won't feed their they're not uh they won't feed their babies like infertile eggs like most other species will ratatomea um it depends on what species you have so vanzellini i they won't do it but um uh, some other some of the others will do it but th so that's when i put like little black canister filters and they they'll deposit their tadpoles in there and i pull that then i can raise a tadpole um yeah i'm raising tadpoles communally uh, I know this is something that you know people are usually curious about. I raise my tadpoles communally. Um, you do need a lot of protein when you're raising them communally, or they will start cannibalizing. Um, yeah, it's interesting because you'll have you'll have one group, um, one group of like dendrobates, and you're growing them out. And there's seven in there, and all seven will come out it, almost out of the water at the exact same time, and like perfect, like all, all seven of them are there. And then you'll do another group of seven and a couple of months later one has morphed out and one is still tiny and there's there's just differences in growth rates that i haven't been able to figure out why yet but i think with the increase in protein um just something that uh, dan from amphibicast had, had once mentioned um that I, that I think that's what's been getting them to all grow more at this, uh, sort of the same rate um another inter interesting thing that i've tried that i've actually not really spoken about ever uh, i don't even think i've mentioned this on my podcast um i have been testing I'm, I'm sure most people have kept dark frogs have seen the calcium clay dishes. I've been testing putting a little bit of that calcium into the deli cups or the deli dishes that uh, the frogs lay the eggs in. And I've actually found that the tadpoles are almost double the size. They're um, they're 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 quite like not fat, but they're they're bigger. They're um, they look stronger. They look like they're ready to fight, and they almost have like. A, a darker more intense color right out right out of the egg like um they it's like they're morphing out faster um so that's just, just some things i'm experimenting with uh it could have been an alternate factor that caused that with the tadpoles and not the calcium um clay so it's still something i i hopefully one day will actually know but as of right now i'm, I'm i have my 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 opinion is that it is the calcium clay that's doing that um yeah, dark frog, dark frogs are a lot of fun, man. There, there, there's a lot of different ways to experiment with them. I guess you can see. And then the other, the other aspect of them is that perfect, perfect vivarium, right? Like with with lizards, um, I could I could put in I could plant the vivarium and and they could destroy it all in like two to three days. Um, they don't yeah. like the lizards. They don't like the the plants. Like my emerald tree skinks, I have um, in the vivarium. I have holes in every single leaf. Um, you'll see like half ripped leaves because they'll jump and they'll land on it and they'll just stick their nail in there and rip pieces of the leaves and they'll do stuff like that. But in a dark frog vivarium, um, they're not damaging plants, and you have the ability because of the high humidity to be keeping some of the rare, some of the cooler plants. And so it really is like a little piece of art uh, in your house. And then just seeing the differences in like the moss growing over the wood, the little trailers climbing up every day, it almost seems like these variums are are like different, like different than the day before even. Uh, so so yeah, I, I, dart frogs are a lot of fun. Yeah. Out of curiosity, uh, what do you feed the tadpoles in order to give them that high protein? Yeah, so um, I've gotten a bunch of different fish foods. Um, so there's the high pro uh, the there's the uh, fry starter by excellence. There's the probiotic one by Tetra. I can't remember the exact name of it. Um, and then I'm using a lot of the Rapashi products. So I'm using um, soil and green. I'm using the morning wood one, but I'm mixing them in with um, some of the meatier Rapashis as well. So I've done uh, grub pie. I've done the grasshopper pie, um, stuff like that. I'll mix that in. But I think, and I, and I could be wrong, but I think one of the things that actually boosted uh, this more than anything else was the uh, addition of krill. I started giving them uh, little tiny pieces of krill, and they go crazy for it. Um, which also, krill is a uh, natural carotenoid uh, or like a natural color en enhancer. So I said earlier, it could have been the calcium that's increasing the color on them. It could have also been the addition of the krill. Um, but yeah, that's I, I give them a wide variety of things. So of course they have the the Indian almond leaves that they're always munching on, and I'm giving them a bunch of different uh, fish foods. But the things that I'm most seeing the best results with right now that I'm sticking to are um, the fry starter by excellence, the ripashi, the mixes of ripashi, and then the powdered krill. Um, it also comes in a bag uh, as a like fry starter for baby fish. So it's very fine powder, 
uh, and it kind of just spreads all over the surface and you see all the tadpoles go up at once and kind of they're taking it in all at once and kind of floating in the surface so it's it's very cool to see because i don't see that reaction with many foods um so it must smell really good or or yeah um those those are must get awesome. yeah 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 Was there anything uh, else you want to talk about before we uh, wrap this up? Um, up to you. I, I don't know. Um, any, any uh, uh, other? Uh, trying to think if there's any other species that we haven't really touched on. Um, well, yeah, it's up, it's up to you. Do you do you have any more questions for you? <laughs> um, uh, can't think of anything off the top of my head. We could talk. Uh, Yeah, no, I think I think uh, <laughs> covered most of the collection. We gotta touch on the newts if you want. Uh, I can touch on like cooling them. For oh, the winter and, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I forgot. I forgot about the newts. So the newts, yeah. Um, so yeah. so uh, newts are awesome. <laughs> I haven't been keeping them very long. Um, I I um, I'm recently now adding the newts to my collection. So um, the alpine newts, I've only had a couple of months and I'm kind of growing them out. The Chinese fire belly newts, I actually ordered like 20 of them from Vancouver. Um, and um, we weren't finding them anywhere here on this side of Canada. So we ordered a big group of them between me and a bunch of friends, um, expecting them to come in, you know, almost ready to breed or somewhere in there. And they, they no joke, man, came in like, half the size of my pinky right um half an inch long so they're tiny 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 uh, so i'm still growing them out and 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 uh hopefully be able to breed them at some point but the cool thing about newts um and this is like kind of newt breeder trade secrets that i haven't personally tried myself but i've managed to you know get from from other newt keepers um it seems that almost the only way to breed them is actually to cool them so we we um what, what, what I'm planning to do now is put them all in little Tupperwares and over the winter, put them in my garage, um, you know, maybe drop it down to like six, seven degrees Celsius and have them there for a few months, bring them out, start fattening them up. And that's usually what um, bumps them to, uh, to, to uh, like gets them going to breed. It's like the melting of the mountains and, and all that stuff, you know, melting the water in the mountains, the, the cool spring is here kind of thing. It, it induces the breathing. And um, I've actually seen that same, Differently, but same reaction with Spanish rib newts and the axolotls. Um, it's the cold water changes that triggers them. Or with the axolotls, I used to work in a, a paleontology lab where I would breed axolotls for experiments and stuff like that. And what we would do is we'd actually drop the temperature of the axolotls for only four or five days. We'd go from like down to like, not even as low as I was saying, down to 12, 13 degrees, bring it back up to 16 and almost the next day you have a spawn. Um, so they do like the, the cold cycles and the warm cycles. They do need that. Um, and I think also the, the circadian rhythm definitely helps. So when you're cooling them, you know, they're, they're getting less light, they're getting less hours of all that. Um, I think that, that definitely, that definitely does the, the, the job for them. Uh, but keeping newts is fun, man. They're, um, you know, one thing about, uh, about some species is, is you, you feel like they're almost brain dead. Um, you, you feel like, you're gonna get an animal just gonna sit there and you're, you're gonna have to throw in food and walk away for them to eat and uh i was really really expecting that the salamanders and the newts would be like that but i was blown away that they're actually the complete opposite um they're inquisitive i have like uh the oita salamanders are in also there i have like a bunch of little coconut hides in there um the second the second that that tank is open um you'll see the forehead stick out like immediately and like where's our food you know um yeah and then yeah seeing them climb into the water and climb out it's it's always it's always a fun thing um i have my spanish rib newts in uh, about a 55 gallon and and this is actually uh interesting i i was told by people that if i put shrimp in they'd all get eaten and that it was just basically i was giving my my newts an expensive shrimp food um but i wanted to try it anyway so i put i put 10 cherry shrimp in with my uh, spanish rib newts and now there's a thriving colony of about like 50 of them um, and actually what I, what I came to decide later, and I, I also could be wrong, but my theory on it now actually is, um, the shrimp are kind of acting like a cleanup crew in that aquarium. Uh, so they're eating the newt poop. So I don't have to go in there and spot clean as often. Um, 
and um, they're they're just they're cleaning up all the algae. They're they're doing their their little workers in there. So they're essentially have become like the isopods in our vivarium in there. Um, and yeah, it's cool. They they uh, another interesting thing with the Spanish rib newts. Although I've been able to induce them on like cold water changes, as I said earlier, they also seem to be doing it almost on on like a yearly cycle on their own without um, a change. So last year about around this time august september i got i got um, a huge clutch of eggs and a couple of days ago i no water change no no nothing um a couple of days ago i started seeing eggs again so there must be some something in their system or something that's still keeping them tied to uh maybe it's a change in pressure uh maybe it's something like that but it's interesting to think about because they're in they're in the second room in the basement which is completely dark until their lights are on um, and there's no window, so there's no access to to any of that stuff. So there's something there that's triggering them that, um, that yeah, I, I haven't been able to figure out, but it almost seems like they can still feel what's happening um, outside. Yeah. Yeah, um, I actually have uh, two, uh, two friends of mine, Mike and just out in Mold, and then I'll shamelessly plug them here. Uh, they have a company, uh, Cerberus and Salamanders. Uh, awesome. Micah does all the snakes. Micah does all the snake stuff, but Josiah does a lot of... Uh, aquatic salamanders aquatic newts all some terrestrial stuff as well but uh yeah like for winter uh michael actually take all his snakes over to josiah's uh uh salamander room in order to cool. roommate them yeah interesting okay so, yeah because because salamander rooms have to be cold <laughs> yeah yeah i also so, have them in a separate separate room with a like a little ac running in there just to, to bring the temperatures down yeah. That's awesome. Sorry, what did you say their name was? Uh, snakes and Serpents? Uh, serpents and Salamanders. Serpents and Salamanders. Oh, snakes and Serpents. Yeah. Serpents and Salamanders. Awesome. Yeah, may, uh, maybe get you to get me in touch with them. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll send you a link to their Instagram or something. So Sweet. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I feel like pretty much wraps up pretty well. So. Yeah, 100%. Again, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. And uh, for people listening... You can find uh, his podcast on uh, Daffy's Roundtable on, I know Spotify. Is it on any other uh, it's platforms? It's on all streaming platforms, yes. Yeah. So Daffy's Roundtable on um, Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes. It's on uh, Google Play. It's uh, Anchor, all the podcast platforms, and YouTube, actually. That's up there as well. All right. Yeah. All right. So, guys, feel free to check him out. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me, man. This was a lot of fun, and hopefully we get to do it again soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you.